Welcome to episode 68 of Dads from the Crypt, the Tales of the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason. Tonight I'm joined by Mondo. Oh, hello. Hello. And Jody is without power. Maybe he'll show up, maybe he won't. So it'll be a surprise. But tonight we are joined by a very special guest. He is a writer, he's a director, he's a Sega Genesis collector, among other things. His name is Edward Payson. Hey. Hey, welcome to the show, Ed. How are you? Great, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, you've got a plethora of projects and uh, things going on, so we're just going to dive right into it. Tell us about yourself and what, you, what you've been working on. Yeah, so uh, I started in L.A. making movies in uh, around 2007. Um, started off with straight horror stuff, some slasher films, uh, found footage, serial killer film, and then uh, kind of went right into documentaries from there. Um, so it's kind of like a I'm 50-50 documentaries and horror, and sometimes they're horror documentaries, and sometimes they're the other way where they're you know horror mockumentaries. Um, but yeah, right now I, I just came out with a retro video game movie called Rarity: Retro Video Game Collecting in the Modern Era, about a bunch of um, collectors of modern, or I'm sorry, of um, rare retro video games everything from like your average collector to people with like 30 million dollar video game collections um to people with like one of a kind items and that kind of thing and my new documentary is called in search of all american massacre the lost texas chainsaw film and it's it's just that it's about a lost texas chainsaw massacre film that nobody really knows about that was created by uh tony hooper who's toby hooper's son uh, Toby worked on it as well, but, um, yeah, it kind of got lost the time. It was supposed to come out in 2000 and then didn't. And no one knows why, because everybody kind of just fell off the face of the earth and then swore not to talk about it after 2000. So we kind of, um, you know, knocked on doors and kind of went as far as we could with figuring out what was going on with it and, um, kind of telling people about it who don't know about it, because I don't know about you guys, but like, I know so many Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans, people with tattoos all over them and everything. Mm-hmm. And oh. they've never heard of the film, even though Bill Mosley reprises his role as Chop Top in the film. Right. Is, is this is this the one that's a that's like kind of a prequel or where he's like in jail? Yeah, it's like a prequel sequel. So he's he's um it's it supposedly takes place after uh Texas Chainsaw 2. Somehow he survives and he goes to prison, and then after several years in prison, I think 15 years in prison, he gets interviewed by a tabloid news crew and kind of takes them through um all of his past massacres even before the first chainsaw mm-hmm, movie. Right. yeah at nam nam and everything so yeah it's one of those things i've heard i remember hearing about every once in a while so it will pop up or might be like a, a short clip might show up on youtube or something um but yeah it's definitely one of those lost to time things that you know it's great to hear at least that you're telling the story of even if you can't get the actual movie yeah, and, and 
and some some crazy stuff has happened in just the last few years. Like like I said, this was supposed to come out in 2000, but in 2020, for instance, uh, a clip just randomly showed mm-hmm. up of Buckethead as Leatherface. Uh, I should mention Buckethead, uh, the guitarist, plays Leatherface in the film, wears a fat suit and everything. And um, a, a clip showed up out of nowhere on Twitter from uh, someone else with no other posts except for this one post, and then they deleted it after. Uh, and a few lucky people were able to, you know, get it. Some people took it down and put it on YouTube. Um, and that comes from something even crazier that happened where in 2016, one of the producers of the film uh, had abandoned the storage locker. And it was, I guess, abandoned for several years. And uh, his name was Eric Lasher. And he essentially had all the work that he had ever done. He's primarily a, a set photographer and he worked on like all the Candyman's. He worked on both Guyver films, uh, Texas Chainsaw Two, the first one, uh, tons and tons of movies. And he had all the negatives in there. And then um, when he abandoned the storage locker, not only were the set negatives in there, but he also was the cinematographer for All American Massacre. So oh. there's actually like uh, archive listings of the Hi Eight tapes and stuff that they shot on being sold on eBay to somebody back in 2017. Um, so, yeah, so that's that we go through that too. We contact the people who, you know, got a hold of the, of these set photography things. He still had some, and uh, we can talk about that too, if you want. I don't know if you want to just dive, dive right um, into it. No, I, I think we got, we got a good idea about it. So is, is the documentary still in progress? Is it finished? It's finished. Uh, it's actually premiering in Hollywood this this Friday, actually. Oh, wow. Um, or actually at the uh, Howard Hughes Center in Culver City. And then um, we actually, it's going to be like within the next week, it's going to be on Amazon Prime and oh, a few other networks. Plex oh, wow. That, so. That's awesome. Congratulations. I, I, I never you. thought I'd ever hear anybody say Buckethead plain Leatherface. Yeah. And the follow-up, <laughs> sta- the follow-up statement is even crazier. And it was crazier. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining Leatherface with a bucket of chicken. That's all I can think of right now. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm not a big fan of Buckethead, but Buckethead is like a lover of horror. And if you ever want to hear a really cool, something he does that's really cool, if you go on YouTube, look up his cover of uh, the Cannibal Holocaust theme. Mm-hmm. And he just kills it. It's like so haunting how well he does that. Just uh, uh, not on topic, but it's uh, it's worth checking out. But I'm, dude, I'm I'm into this documentary now. I've never yeah. heard of this, and I'm I'm so excited right now to hear to check this out. Thanks, cool. man. Yeah, we like we as we were making it, we were just like learning things. One of the things, like, there's not much information about it, like I said, but one of the things we actually learned is just like we didn't know that Toby had anything to do with it, and he actually had a part in like uh, he kind of stepped aside but took like menial roles in the project. He helped wow. getting them right. Um, and some people like that we had talked to in the past said, oh, no, Toby wasn't on set. And then we actually got exclusive photos from the set that are only in the documentary of him not only on set, but like handling Buckethead's mask and everything. And um, the person who gave me the, the footage actually uh, blurred out Bucketface's face because, he, you know, his whole thing is not showing his yeah. face. Um, they blurred that out, but it, there's Toby just handling the, the Leatherface mask on set and then wow. taking pictures with all the different people on set. So um, it's kind of cool because when you think about it, this is actually Toby Hooper's last Texas Chainsaw Massacre film and nobody knows about it. No, that's insane. I, I, Texas Chainsaw Massacre being 
possibly my favorite horror film of all time. I have I've never heard of any of this, and yeah. I'm I'm super intrigued. This is going to keep you up tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, and then tell us what else you found in that uh, abandoned storage unit. Yeah, so kind of bringing it all full circle, um, you know, the tales from the crypt podcast. Uh, so we actually contacted the guy who originally sold that stuff, and he apparently had over 200 rolls that were unsorted. Uh, that he hadn't gone through yet and he was selling them on ebay like while you know we were talking to him so we were like okay we'll you know pull some money together because he wanted quite a bit of money i think it was like 500 dollars for 20 every 20 rolls so we bought 20 rolls and just started like you know frantically going through the rolls um and we got like three or four episodes of tales from the crypt you know behind the scenes um set photography that some of them weren't ever published uh, and one of the coolest ones we got was from the episode yellow, the, the Robert Zemeckis one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then, then the, all the rest were from season three. So that was really cool. We got some set footage from, um, window liquor, the, uh, Aphex twin music video, nice. he did all the set stuff for that. We got all the behind the scenes stuff for that. And then we also got one for, uh, the Giver two. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, we have a bunch that we couldn't really identify, so we still have to, like, go through the processing and stuff. But um, one of the ones I, uh, I didn't mention, we got, like, top billing. Uh, so oh, you cool. see the, two, the Crypt Keeper as, like, uh, the, in the Dracula costume and stuff. Um, so, yeah, really, really cool stuff. So, and what? And I guess we're, you and I were talking about this, so you're having trouble finding um, an economical way to develop it. So what kind of film is it on, or what's the format? I mean, it's, it's like, old stock old stock 35 um so this is like kind of what it looks like and mm-hmm. there's like 20 of these and we were just quoted at these different places there was one place where it was like um someone at afi that i know said that he could do it but he would probably have to like rent the lab out for like three or four days to do it because it's a, such a slow process wow. and then like, the cheapest we got was 35 per roll um at a few like post houses that we had asked so that's kind of kind of where we are. I mean, we might just do it slowly and like do piece by piece. Maybe just do the tales from the crypt stuff, and then go uh, and try to do the other stuff that we can't really identify later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, if any of our listeners um, know of a uh, way to get that done in a like I said economical way, please let us know because we'd love to see um, all that those pictures in their full glory. I mean, Jason, you love yellow. I know it's killing me not to see those, and I'm pretty sure you're rich. So just bankroll this is fine. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I was just guessing. All right. You, but you you look like a guy that might be rich. I'm just saying. Like you have that look too. I don't know what that look is. <laughs> White male. I don't know. White male. <laughs> um, all right. Then uh, Edward, tell us about your uh, association with Tales from the Crypt. Do you have any favorite episodes? Do you remember when you first started watching it? Uh, yeah, I started watching it way, way too young. And I know I was way too young because uh, my parents would have babysitters come over and they weren't allowed to watch Shells in the Crypt, but we were. <laughs> so, like, like, my mom said, oh, no, they can watch it. And then and I remember her, my babysitter's name was Julie. And she's like, she's like, well, I can't. So we can't watch this. We have to watch like uh, TJI Friday or something like that. Like, <laughs> like, the stupid Boy Meets World or something. I, was like, I don't like any of this. I want to watch horror movies. Um, but I think I saw Demon Knight before I ever saw any of the mm. show. 
because we didn't have HBO growing up, but we did have um, a family friend who owned a video store. And essentially, like, we got all the uh, previously viewed, not previously viewed, but um, the, the preview tapes. Mm-hmm. And actually, I sorted it out later. This was the exact preview tape that we had first. Oh, that's cool. The sealed that version. is awesome. Peak that you'd get uh, a video store. Um, it has some like interviews of the cast. It says like for promotional purposes only, not mm-hmm. for reading the bottom and stuff. Um, that's really DVD cool. Recently. Yeah. Um, and then I, in the in the hallway, I have like one of the original like VHS posters um, framed and stuff. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a huge part of my life for sure. Um, I have all the seasons, you know, on um, on DVD. So uh yeah that's kind of kind of where i stand of course i have some of my favorites i have i even have ritual which nobody has so (laughs) (laughs) for good reason but (laughs) jason is still dragging his feet on reviewing that we said we should review and he's like yeah i don't know maybe we will we will at some point (laughs) but i'm not in any rush whatsoever yeah and actually that'll kind of transition us to um announcements because this is uh the finale of was it season five so we're actually gonna take a break from tell slicker believe it or not and we're gonna cover the new guillermo del toro series cabinet of curiosities um Mm. which has gone rave reviews and i've actually held off watching it because of this um so for the next i think eight weeks we will be covering that show it's on netflix so uh feel free to watch along have you have you watched any of it yet no, I've, I've been saving the. I've been like intentionally okay. avoiding it. Same here. I just want some uh, Lovecraftian goo. Mm-hmm. No, I've heard. I'm, I've, heard I've heard really, really good reviews. So from like a lot of people that I know, and you know, I uh, and friends. I watched the first three episodes. I didn't like the first two, but I liked the third one, which is mm-hmm. I think called Autopsy. Ooh. Yeah, the first That's two. And the cool thing about it is, it's different directors. So if you don't like one, right. You can just go- one, but yeah, uh, it's, it's an anthology thing, but i've heard it's like one of the best horror anthologies even, to come out in a long time um if i can ask oh. you even even the ones you didn't like did you still find something to latch on to like because there are often movies i don't like but i'm like man i didn't like this movie but goddamn, this actress is great or this well, script was great the reason i didn't like it because of like i didn't like it not because of you know um it wasn't like well made i didn't like it just because it was the first two were very predictable Okay. And there wasn't really anything at the end to be like, oh, that was worth watching this. It was more like just a, a little like, oh, yeah, I could have guessed that from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. But the other totally one makes sense. The other one, I, the autopsy so far, like I said, and I think a lot of people have said too, autopsy is probably the best one mm-hmm. uh, on there. So, Ooh. yeah. Okay. And then the yeah. other announcement is that we are doing our Dead Easy script read on December 17th at noon Pacific. And more details will come out hopefully by the time this episode comes out. So be checking our socials and other posts. Mondo, are you gonna say something? No, I'm good. Oh, I looked like I cut you off. <laughs> I'm good. All right. Well, that rolls us into our episode for the evening. We're gonna be talking about Till Death Do We Part, which came out on December 8th, 1993. Again, Jody's not here, so you're going to have to sit through uh, my plot synopsis. And this is kind of a convoluted plot, at least timeline-wise. There's a lot of flashbacks, so I'm going to kind of simplify it, simplify things uh, just to give us 
the idea of it of what's going of what this episode's about. Real fast, Jason. I'm going to summarize this like in two sentences. Uncle Jesse leaves San Francisco to marry a mobster and be a womanizer. Yes, Uncle Jesse, aka John Stamos. In all the synopsises, he's listed as a gigolo. I didn't get that <laughs> specifically. Like, like that he was specifically a gigolo. I just thought he was just he just wanted a sugar mama. He seemed like a mafia bar owner or something. Yeah. So basically, the 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 gist of this episode is John Stamos plays a John Stamos type, and um, <laughs> he is he's with his luxurious hair. Because God, such amazing hair. Anyways, he his name is. <laughs> I'm sorry, from a bald guy. That's even funnier. <laughs> I know. That's that's part of the joke. He plays. Uh, Johnny, of course, and he's all cozy with this woman named Ruth, who used to be married to a mobster, and then there it's heavily implied that she bumped off her husband so she could take over. So she's kind of the mob boss. She's got two um henchmen, uh Frank and Tony. And then there's a bar waitress named Lucy. And um the episode starts off with this limo pulling out into the forest. And the two uh, henchmen take Lucy and the dead body, and they start burying the body, and, or they start digging a hole for the body. They're about to cut it up, and they're basically implying that they're about to shoot Lucy as well and throw her in the ditch. We don't know who the body is, but we do see Ruth in the car. Um, and it's basically, we get a couple of flashbacks that kind of get fill us in um, where there is like another mob boss who's trying to sell some money or sell some product through Ruth. And we find out that he's the one that actually is the body because we think for a while it's John Stainless's character, um, but that's a kind of that's kind of a fake out. Um, and John Stamos is actually in the car with Ruth, and the, basically Ruth found John Stamos and Lucy um, in a precarious position um, and thinks that they're che- that he's cheating on her. So they basically drive this mob boss, who I guess they have to kill, and Lucy. Out to the forest, and there's this really funny moment where one of the guys who's played by one of the henchmen, played by Rick Picardo, the doctor from uh, Star Trek Voyager, where he keeps like saying, "Hey, that's a nice watch. My wife would like that watch. Can you take it off? That's a nice blouse that would fit my daughter. Can you take it off?" So she's just standing there in her underwear in the, a bra, and you're like, "That's that's it's actually pretty funny." I thought that was a good black humor um, where this mobster is like taking everything this woman has give to his family he's just he's asking her really politely like you know i don't want to get the blood because i'm about to shoot you yeah so the whole tension is like are they going to shoot her and how they got kind of got to this point and then ruth says to johnny uh the john stamos character you know i want you to do it i feel more comfortable if you did it um so he goes out there he uh tells lucy to turn around he puts a gun to her head and then she's like closing her. Oh, no, no, she's looking, looking up in the sky. She thinks she's about to get shot. And then John turns around and shoots both of the mobsters. Ruth gets away in the limo. And then uh, Lucy and Johnny go to the bar. That is kind of her hideout. And they like have this big shootout, like John Wu style, like dual wielding and everything. And um, they basically kill everyone there and kill Ruth, take the diamonds. And they're like, okay, let's go run off. The twist, though, is that that was all in Lucy's head right before Johnny shoots her and then goes back to Ruth, and that's the end. Did I leave anything out? 
Uh, although yeah. one double cross, I think at the end there too. She she then oh right the flashback like tries to double cross Johnny as well or Gigolo, whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tries to double cross him, and so that's that. And I think the only reason that's important is because otherwise that just it just means it's like a mean spirited episode where this like usually in Tales from the Crypt it's like the person who does something like really horribly wrong is like the one who gets punished. Uh, where this would be like the mob boss who killed all these people, but like really all this girl did was like sleep with John Stamos's character and look at him. How can you not? You know? Yeah, I mean, um, I can't blame her. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like really dastardly episodes where they just kill like whoever, and you're supposed to feel like okay with it, you know? Mm. Yeah, where there's like this one's episode there really isn't like a quote unquote good person per se because even she like you know. Her fantasy is to kill everybody and run off with the money and then double cross Johnny. So like yeah. she's not necessarily a good person if that's her fantasy. Yeah. Um, and I thought another twist, because this whole thing with the other mobster who was like trying to like sell them jewelry, but turns out it wasn't real jewelry. And we don't know for sure, but Ruth doesn't think it's real. So I thought before we knew that this was all in her head, I thought the twist was gonna be all the money that Julie turned out to be fake any fake. So it turns out that they were trying to get away with this big score and it was all worthless. Yeah. I, I thought that was going to be the, the final twist. One of the cool things that I want to point out too, or funny things is like when you realize that that, that uh, person being cut up or whatever is not John Samos's character, the, all the dialogue makes no sense because like he's, she's like, Oh, what's her name wants you to watch. And like, why would she care about this? You know why? And she's all like, you know, wincing and like, almost fainting and stuff uh, when this random mobster is being like killed. I mean, I guess that's a human reaction, but yeah. at the same time, like she's kind of overselling. And then they're also like, she wanted you to watch before. It's like, why do I care about this random guy? Right. And then what, what, there is a lot of like, like you said, love dark humor in this. I thought it was pretty funny because this whole time we have this uh, one of the henchmen, Tony is played by Frank Stallone. So imagine like Sylvester Stallone, but like, you t- they take like the character creator and just like turn up. You know, sometimes when you're building a character in a video game, you just want to see what like some of the statistics will look like if you just do them like to a hundred. It kind of looks like Sylvester Stallone. Someone just messed with the character creator a bunch. Well, was he related to Sylvester? That's his brother. His brother, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, he had a. You know, he hacked. Like, if I, if I remember correctly, he was a music artist. Yeah, he's a musician, and had a top ten hit in for like the movie Staying Alive. I think. Yeah, and then he contributed that, and like he's in like all three, the first three Rocky movies as like street singer or something like that. Oh, I love um, like guy on the street who happens to be scatting or something. So you know what they do in Philadelphia, the streets when it's cold. Um, he he was actually pretty funny because this whole time he's listening to the radio, listening to uh, baseball games, and he's like got this axe, he's like chopping up a body, and he keeps like you know mimicking the bat swinging motions with the axe. It was actually a pretty funny performance, both him and. Uh, Robert Picardo were pretty funny as, as like little side characters. Um, so, Mondo, what did you think of this episode? Eh, it was okay. It was okay. The whole, the whole, it was a bit convoluted and, and kind of like uh, Ed brought up. I, I really, I've said this before, but I don't love the Tales episodes where I don't have a clear cut protagonist that I'm rooting for. And at the end, it's like the the the, the pieces of shit that the terrible human beings are the victors. I mean, I think at the end, you're supposed to think that John Stamos' character is still miserable because of who he's married to, but he's still a terrible human being that at the end kind of got his way. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and Ruth, well, she was just ruthless, to be honest. Uh, she wasn't ruthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they um, also infer, dude. They also infer that like he's done this multiple times, John. Stavis. Right. Uh, this guy's like just living his best life, just fucking around on this mob boss and killing innocent women. And that's what I, I think. So halfway through the episode, when they're having these like John Wick style firefights, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it because it was so cheesy and over the top. And they're each brandishing dual firearms. I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I kind of like it. And then at the end, when they break out of that dream sequence, I was like, oh, this is all in their heads. And and then he just kills her. And I was like, well, that's not really the ending I was hoping for. <laughs> and I, I kind of like the trolling, though. I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, I can appreciate it, but at the end of the day, it doesn't mean it's it's a great it's it's great. So I, I'm gonna put this on not my favorite Tales of the Crypt episode, but it wasn't bad. Well directed, well acted. Um, uh, I thought Kate Vernon w- was fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, and she's playing a bunch of fun stuff. And uh, she she actually is one of my she actually does uh, one of my favorite things ever, which you don't see any, see nowadays, where she played and I think she was in CSI or. But she's played multiple characters in the same yeah. TV show, but played different same TV show, but different characters, which I always love because oh, really? you know it's the same person, uh, w- which makes me happy. But um, uh, yeah, I- I'm just gonna say like I I don't th- I think we were where where we ended a couple of the, like season four we ended with yellow, which is one of the best tales episodes of all time, and this season we're kind of end end ending I think at least personally on a on a on a more sour note. Uh, so, Ed, Ed what, what, would you th- what was your opinions of this episode? Well, immediately when I saw the ending, I was like, oh, this is a retelling of an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which is like a story Ooh. in 1890 where um, this guy is about to be hanged off the side of a bridge and he imagines the rope snapping and he gets off and like goes and burns the bridge in the night so nobody else can get hung by it and stuff. And uh, and then it ends with literally him being hung and, and dying. Those are his last, uh, his last, you know, visions before he dies. So it's literally that to a T, just modern retelling. Um, that was something I, I think I maybe heard first in like high school or middle school or something like that um, in like social studies class. So I was like, oh, wow. Um, and it also kind of reminded me of Yellow a little bit. I mean, I know Yellow, the plot is not exactly the same because it's not, a dream, but it is like, you know, a lie, um, <laughs> a, a lie that's basically, um, pro- you know, propelling this guy to like act like he's, you know, all stoic. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I so, see. I see the parallel at the end with you know the sh- the firing squad. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I um, think I feel like I'm a little more sympathetic sympathetic to this episode, given that it's only 25 minutes and not like a. If, th- if this was the ending to a two hour movie that I just sat through. I think I'd be a little pissed, but um, given that you know it's a Tales of the Crypt episode, it's short, it's a little experimental. I'm I'm more okay with it, and like that's the kind of the the whole dream thing or fantasy, whatever you want to call it. You can do it once, but like again, if you can smile, there's like multiple times where there's like this cheap fake out, um, kind of thing, and they do kind of go back to that well like multiple times, and then I get I get kind of mad about it. Are you talking about the movie Smile? Yeah, I, I don't give away so funny, major dude, spoilers. I, I literally just posted something. You might like it. It's um, a friend of mine made it, and it's actually showing a scene. First, the scene from Smile, like, actually, like on top of each other, like Smile scene playing in real time, and then Hereditary under it playing in real time, and the same mm-hmm. thing again. 
with a scene from the ring and it's lifted shot for shot exactly lifted from those two movies uh oh wow I don't want to go on a tangent, but I feel like we're in the in the place where we can like do. I feel like Smile is like a parody, almost of like Trauma Monster the movie. Like yeah. that seems like the, the the trend over the last ten years. It's like there used to be, you know, not another teen movie, not another epic movie, whatever it was, all those scary movies. Now I feel like it's trying to be like not another Trauma Monster movie. <laughs> um, and back to this episode, I think. And again, I was actually, we, we were talking on Twitter with Gregory Wyden, who did the last episode, um, Halfway Horrible. And he was saying that they thought this was going to, there was a, they were basically being told this is the end of the Tales of the Crypt series, that they didn't think there would be another season. So a lot of actors were like, okay, this is our last chance to jump on the ship and, and do it. So that's why I think the last couple episodes have had some amazing casts um, because they, they weren't sure if there was going to be another season or not. Because um, I think the cast is what really makes this episode, because um, it's just so loaded. Um, again, just going through it, Lucy is played by Kate Vernon. She did um, a soap opera called Falcon Crest. She was in Pretty in Pink. She was in Malcolm X. She was a longtime uh, character on uh, Battlestar Galactica. She recently did The Morning Show. Uh, John Stamos. I mean, she was also in a uh, woman in prison film called Chained Heat. Yes, I saw that too. Um, Big fan. Yeah, I mean, John Stamos actually, one of the most recent things he did was that show Scream Queens. I didn't know he was in that. Oh, me either. Um, and then we got Robert Picardo. Uh, again, he was in The Howling, which I always forget. He was in Inner Space. He was in Gremlins 2. He was the coach in Wonder Years. And then Frank Stallone. He was in Hudson Hawk and Tombstone, along with some of the um, Rocky movies. Was and he then, in Fargo too at some point? I'm sorry? Wasn't his whole thing? Was it either him or or um, his brother wearing like some some like uh, softcore porn or something like that? Really? Yeah, yeah. There's. I don't. Happening. I don't want to see that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's either Frank or or, or Rocky himself. But uh, um, like, yeah, there's a, there's something out there. Amos? Sure. Yes, Stallone. No, sorry. <laughs> um, Ruth is played by Eileen Brenner. She was in The Sting, which is one of my favorite movies. In Private Benjamin, she was in Clue, and then one of her last roles was actually in Jeepers Creepers. Uh, real fast, but to backtrack a little bit, um, Sylvester Stallone was in a movie called The Party at Kitty and Studs, and I implore you guys to go online and look at the movie poster because the tagline says Sylvester Stallone, star of Rocky, goes X-rated. Oh, so there we go. And then underneath it says The Italian Stallion. Oh God! At least they go like Rocky Hard or something. <laughs> uh that'd been great jason where were you in this film was made <laughs> i don't know i missed my calling and this was um directed by peter i think it's liff um he was a writer on movies such as point break uh patriot games and varsity blues okay so yeah that's a, i think that, that's a movie where matt Dillon gets really mad at his dad right which one varsity blues that's a football one right that's, that's not Matt Dillon. No, that's James Vanderbeek. Oh, okay, James Vanderbeek. All right. Yeah. That's like Same a comfort day. movie for me. I don't want your life. <laughs> yes, that, that, that line. Yes. That's the line I remember. That yes. and, and and what, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, when they come out, 2001. Uh, no, that was like was 98. A, yeah. Yeah. Was a, yeah. The only thing I remember is that line and uh, any teenager who watched at that time remembers the whipped cream scene. Like, who does Yes. <laughs> Weirdly so, enough. Weirdly I don't like enough, to talk. 
internship. I did an internship for that company. Oh, uh, really? Pictures uh, in 2000, 2007 and 2008. Um, and weirdly enough, the guy who actually was the producer of that film is now head of content and head of uh, production at Paramount. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. I, yeah. I like to imagine you walked into the uh, the office and they just had like a stand up with the whipped cream on it. Just so. <laughs> Supposedly well, it was focusing but... on that kid stuff for the most part. But uh, but yeah, they had they were working on like uh, they did all that as well. If anybody knows what that is. Oh, um, the old uh, Nickelodeon show. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Uh, and I was on a Sunny with a Chance, which was the first Demi Lovato show. And uh, it was very apparent even then that all these kids have, were going to have a lot of problems because they were like, and we had to go as an intern, I had to go search for them to give them like scripts and stuff. And a lot of times they'd be like drunk or high or whatever, or like you literally had to go find them because they just leave set and you had to go. They're like, oh, here's a list of places they might be. Go find them and uh, bring them back to set or go find them and give them the script. So. You know, I, I couldn't even imagine the lifestyle those kids had to go through at that age, like the pressure and everything else and the access. Like, I, I can't say I wouldn't have done the same. So I have no judgment towards those people. It's just it, a shitty position to be in. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, but, speaking but, of which, I was I was just reading the IMDb trivia for Varsity Blues and the kid who plays James, James Vatterbeek's little brother, who's like just up as Malcolm X at one point, he's like, then like he's joining a cult, like little side bits. He's been missing for like seven years. Holy shit. Uh, hopefully he's missing for the right reasons. He like just keep yeah, he ran away. his lifestyle. Yeah. Because I, um, I can respect that. Too. I can respect that. I get it. That's some craziness. Uh, Demi Lovato, also a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. Really? Yeah. She looks really short. I've always, I, don't, I have no clue, but she always seems like she'd be really Jason, short. you're like six foot nine. Like everybody's short, short to you, dude. Everyone He's is. also really short. Yeah. Like five two or five three. And oh, I wow. Think time where she just like dated ufc fighters oh wow well yeah. it, to, to put a perspective so like i have such short legs that my wife is five four and her legs are longer than mine some bullshit oh, same I'm italian <laughs> so that's that's kind of how it works so i i have german i'm german and mexican but like my height i'm like i'm like 5 11 but my height was mainly dictated by my mexican side not my german side because <laughs> my grandfather was like six three yeah, I'm only I mean, I'm five ten, but um, I, that's that's kind of a thing, I guess, in Hollywood. Like a lot of actors, the actors you know, like the Henry Cavill's and all them, they're all torso and don't have like they have really short legs. They're all torso. That's how I am. So I'm not triangle choking anybody. I know no one gets that reference, but like I can't triangle choke somebody. It's very sad. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's move to the comic comparison. Um, I speed read this one, so. We'll see how this goes, but apparently we're talking. Um, let's see. I, 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 I love that when Jody's gone, like everything just goes to shit. I know like, it's bad. What are we going to use for all the exposition? Let's see. Haunt of Fear looks like August. I don't have a year, but you know, fifty something. Uh, Mondo, <laughs> you can look it up real fast. No, I can't. <laughs> Dude, so if basically, I, if, I, if I use the internet, my connection might just crash completely. I have no idea what's going to happen. Okay. Well, we'll look it up in a minute. So basically, this is about two um, let's see, two thieves who are trying to open a safe, and they've timed it so they know when the security guard goes on his break and when he comes back. So um, they open the safe, but the security guard comes back early. 
So they have to make a run for it, but the security guard uh, tips off the police. One of them gets shot and makes it back to the, but he makes it back to the safe house and he finds his accomplice there and he's just ignoring him. And like the other guy's like, I need to get to the hospital. The guy, and the other guy's like, I'm going to take off with all the money. Ha ha ha. And then basically the twist is that they're both dead. They're, they just don't know it. So they're just two kind of ghosts kind of going through the motions until they find their bodies. And that's kind of the twist. It's, it's kind of a nothing burger. The, the other twist is that the cops look at their watch. It turns out their watch was four minutes slow. And that's why the um, guard came back early. Um, but it's not, not a remarkable comic. I, I look for the artwork. The artwork, though, as always, like I just love the oh, artwork yeah. from his early comics. Just it's just fun, even if you don't enjoy the writing. The, the artwork's yeah, yeah, no, okay, yeah. I definitely don't take away from the artwork, but oh no, no, I I I respect your retelling of the story. But <laughs> all right, do we have any other thoughts on this episode or any closing thoughts? I I thought this was actually a pretty good episode. Um, at least it was trying something something interesting, and I I, I liked I liked that shootout scene. <laughs> I was like. This is some good late 80s, early 90s, you know, shootout. I, I always appreciate when people are shooting with two guns at the same time, because I remember watching a Mythbusters that it's almost impossible to do mm-hmm. that and, and hit a target. And so it's always so much fun when I see that, because it's just like, it just it, it's so almost cool. like, well, that's what I mean. I mean, they know they're going for over the top and they're just going for it and don't care. So that, that was fun. Like, I mean, it, it's for me again it's just the fact that like i need someone to root for and then when you don't give me that it's, it's tough uh, do you have any final thoughts yeah i mean i i think they were they were banking more on us like you know feeling sympathetic for john stamos even after all of this just because of his looks i think they were really that that's like they're they're like oh he's this horrible person but you know he is still john stamos um so I think they were banking on that a little bit too much. I did like the episode. I like that it wasn't so much the horror episode you typically see and more of like the thriller-esque episodes, like kind of like yellow, like we talked about before. Um, and I, I like that kind of like um, those different episodes that are kind of like the outliers in the series. So I, I would say like probably like six or six or seven stars out of 10. We'll look at that. So Mondo, is this better than the Brad Pitt episode? The King of the Road? Uh, no, no, it's not. I don't know. Like, you know what? Like, uh, part of it also has to do with a, a lot of things. And this is just real life. Is when did you watch this episode? Like, when I watched that King of the Road episode, I was not in a good place. So I'll say this is better than that episode. Um, although that did have Brad Pitt, which amplified it. Um, that did have some fun set pieces. Um, they're about on par. I don't even remember what I gave that one, but I probably rated it too low because I wasn't oh, yeah. really in a good place when I watched that movie. All right. That episode. Who's, who do you have the bigger man crush on, Brad Pitt or John Stamos? Well, I mean, fucking Jesse and the Rippers, right? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, did you ever hear the story that Bob Saget told about when he went to the bathroom one time with John Stamos at a convention? Uh, probably, but you can tell it. it it's watching on YouTube. He talks about how he went in the bathroom. He goes, and he and John Stamos are both in there. They're peeing, and they see a, a kid like or a guy just looking back and forth like what the fuck's happening so he started talking to jesse he started talking to john stamos like he was in character and he was like man jesse like i don't know about dj she's not doing well and started talking about all things he goes and the kid who's obviously high is like looking back and forth like what the fuck full house is real life <laughs> and of course john stamos being john stamos played along so i mean it's a- speaking of real life dj is not okay anymore uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
She's going off the deep end. Fucked up that childhood crush. Like, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to stick with April O'Neil and Jennifer Tilly, and I'm cool with it. There you go. <laughs> April O'Neil can't fuck up at this point, right? Like, unless they make a, a, a Ninja Turtles movie and she's somehow somewhere in an undisclosed location on January the 6th. Um, other than that, they really can't fuck up with her. So, <laughs> depends on how you feel about Megan Fox, but you know, man, like, it was ne- never, never my thing, but I also did never watch Jennifer's body. So, I've heard that. Uh-huh. You have to watch that movie to really respect it. I kind of, I kind of like those new um, live action Turtle movies. They were terrible. Live action what movies? Terminate uh, tran- Tur- Turtle movies. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna watch. They, were, they weren't it's too like, bad. All I'll state is that in the original Ninja Turtles live oh, action God. movie, yeah, the theme song that plays when the Foot Clan appears on on screen is fucking top notch. Like I want that theme to play every time I walk into him, just do 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 like just ominous. Like I can be in there with flowers, but I want ominous when I walk into a room. Yeah. All right, let's do our episode rating. We do one to five, five being the best, one being or zero being the worst. You can do half points. Mondo, what do you give this episode? A two and a half. And again, I'm not going to call it actually a bad episode. I think it wasn't aligned with my taste. But like you guys mentioned, acting's fantastic. Um, I, I, Ed, how you brought how it was like a different kind of story and how they ended the season with like a different kind of arc uh, with a thriller arc. Yeah, I, 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 again, like as much as I really didn't enjoy it for my taste, I still don't think it was a bad episode at all. So uh, I think two and a half is pretty solid. All right, Ed. I say I give it a, a three, um, three out of five, just because it was it was good enough to like hold my interest. And like you said, the actors kind of kept you in there. If, if John Samos wasn't in there, I don't know if it would be as like compelling as an episode. As weird as that sounds, but um, yeah, uh, what's giving it a three instead of like a two out of five is definitely like the John Stamos and and the dual wielding guns. Well, I think John Stamos also has like a super innocent face. Mm-hmm. To where it's almost weird, like when you see him in this villain role, because his face definitely does not scream villain. Yeah, so no, that, like, that face cannot do anything wrong. That face, that hair okay. can do anything wrong. Um, yeah, I'll give this a three point five. I, 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 it was entertaining from beginning to end. I was into it. Might not have been the best, but I was never bored. And again, I think most of that has to do with um, you know the characters and just the performances and some of the the humor that was kind of laced throughout the story. Yeah, I did, again, I felt a lot of like mashing up of genres from like the early '90s, like John Woo, maybe a little Tarantino influence, and that's that's fine. That's that does reflective of what was going on then. Uh, I can't remember what your Reservoir Dogs came out, but it definitely had a little bit of that feel too. I, I just went online to see if John Stamos had a cameo, and he didn't because I was totally gonna buy you a cameo saying this face can do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I would die a happy man if you did that. <laughs> We'll move on to Al's anecdotes. Take it away. Hi, it's Alan. So season five comes to an end. Looking back, I think season five was our peak. Not every episode's a gem, but there are a lot of gems in the mix. I remember facing a lot of challenges, some self-imposed, like wanting one actor to play the entire family in Death of Some Salesmen, and others circumstantial, like when one of our actors got arrested mid-shoot for being drunk and disorderly during the House of Horror episode. We fired Food for Thoughts director just before shooting started, but pulled off a good episode anyway. Scott Nimrofro wrote some classic Scott episodes, Oil's Well That Ends Well, and People Who Live in Brass Hearses. 
Todd pulled off some great makeup effects in multiple episodes, and we got to work with even more terrific actors, including Bill Paxton, Brad Dourif, Marty Sheen, Billy Zane, Tim Curry, and Roger Bloody Daltrey from The Who. We also experienced Uli Adele. Now, Uli's a good director, but on his first day of shooting on Crypt, out on location, we got a call that Uli had just moved past take 32 on the shot. Take 32? If directors did more than four takes on the shot, we got nervous about them. Gil jumped in his car and sped out to the location to stop the madness. I think Uli may have gotten up into the 40s before Gil pulled the plug on him. Like I said, I think we hit our stride in season five, and if I'm honest, we may have started to go downhill afterwards. The features were taking up a lot of time and energy. We did a TV movie backdoor pilot for Fox called Weird World. We knew how to make tells from the crypt, and I think we may have taken it a little for granted. We knew we had another season or two. I suspect that also contributed to a, a lack of hunger on our part. I know I started to get a little bored. I needed new challenges, and in time the feature films would suck us into their void. And we all know what happened because of that. See you next time. And we're back. All right, Mondo, step up to the plate with the song of the day. Oh, I, I got this this week. So I, I have well, one's not going to count. But did you know that John Stamos actually played steel drum in the video for um, Kokomo by the Beach yeah, Boys? I, I saw that on IMDb. That's awesome. Yeah, mm. I saw that. And that was funny. But I, I'm going with a, a different direction because this episode is about love. So we'll go with the band Strapping Young Lad. Uh, Devin Townsend being the, the front man of that band and the uh, creative force behind that band. And the song is Love off the album Alien. And the tie-in is this it's a song about it's a it's love with a question mark. And if if you guys want a really cool music video to watch, it's a great music video because a music video is them basically playing in the evil dead cabin and being infected by the um the deadites. Oh cool. Um uh, the other interesting piece of that is and it kind of ties into but um, uh, Machine Head wrote a song around the same time. So uh, when Devin Townsend wrote the song, he completely admitted that he ripped off the band. Yes. And I can't remember the name of the song he ripped off. Uh, but Machine Head then wrote a song that was almost note for note this song. And people were saying, oh, you ripped off Strapping Young Lad. He's like, well, we didn't because we recorded around the same time. And I don't like Machine Head. There is all that story. But um, it just turned out they both ripped off the same Yes song. <laughs> Because they thought that the song was good, um, but the, um, the the music video was directed by uh, Joe Lynch. Mm. Uh, Joe Lynch uh, directed um, a bunch of stuff. Uh, Chillerama. He did Wrong Turn Two. He did Knights of Badassdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, did and did recently a uh, Mayhem. So uh, yes. a, a bunch of fun stuff, and he's appearing a bunch of stuff. So uh, uh, that, that's a tie into horror, but um, it, it's it, Strapping Young Lad is a great band and. Uh, Devin Townsend was known for the long time for rocking the best skullet of all time, mm-hmm. which uh, no one should ever, no one should ever do that. Like he's on the very short, he's in the, he's in the list of one person that should ever have a skullet. It was, and I, and I bet if you asked him about it today, he'd be like, yeah, I should not have done that. Um, so yeah, strapping young lad, the song love off the album alien. Great song. Nice. All right, and uh, since Jerry's not here, I'm going to do some trivia because we have a couple pieces for this episode. The first one is that Kate Vernon, who plays Lucy, um, her father is actually John Vernon from uh, Animal House and many, many oh, other things. Okay. And he had he actually was in a episode last season called Seance. So we got some nice synergy there. 
Um, additionally, um, the wraparound with the Crypt Keeper in this is all baseball themed. And the tie in there is because one of the characters is listening to um, baseball games while he's cutting up bodies. So we have the base, the Crypt Keeper in the baseball uniform, and he's calling out a play, and there's a little thing that shows up on the screen that shows the positions of the players. And two of them are, of course, Gaines and Feldstein. Oh, cool. Um, the, you know, Gaines, the uh, founder of EC Comics, and uh, Feldstein, uh, one of the main uh, writers and artists uh, from the original comics. Um, and then on the sports cast that one of the characters is listening to, we, they reference a pitcher named Scott Nimfro. Or it's the, the pitcher's name. Yeah, I don't know if they say Scott, but they definitely say Nimfro. I caught that. And he uh, wrote and produced uh, a bunch of episodes of Tales of the Crypt. So there's a lot of nice little Easter eggs written throughout this episode. So that was nice. All right. Can, so can, moving... I, had a, can I add a fun piece of uh, wrestling trivia? Oh, please. Okay. So Knox News is a story on Glenn Jacobs. Fuck you, Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, who is settling a lawsuit that alleged he asked county employees to work at his home and pressured a department head to lie to state investigators and then cursed at them when they refused. So, uh, Kane just continuing to be a piece of shit. Thank you for the Kane update. Hey, man, the, the, the grappling match stands. If everyone wants to grapple for a charity, so I can uh, choke that motherfucker unconscious. <laughs> I like to that goes. I feel like he's not going to take that. Dude, he's a big dude, but I, yeah. I feel like I still choke him unconscious. It's fun. <laughs> All right. And now we're moving on to our dad advice. Ask a dad. And um, Ed, uh, I hope you don't mind me saying, but you have a relatively newborn in your household. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, turning one on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So yeah. my ask a dad is, are you okay? I, I, I'm okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah. Do you have any um, n- newborn to one-year-old advice you'd like to give our listeners? I do. Um, so we hear a lot of things about sleeping and stuff and how you can't sleep. And no, you're not ever going to sleep. My wife and I did something very, very smart in the first like three months the baby was born and mind you, you can you can only do this if your job like allows you to do this. Mm-hmm. But what it was, was, um, I would go to bed at, um, I would go to bed at like eight o'clock at night and then get up around like seven in the morning or six in the morning. And then my wife would go to sleep from six in the morning until like one. And then oh. we would both get full night sleep. Um, and, and just be watching the baby and doing the whole, cause you have to get up every two hours um, so until she wasn't getting up every two hours, uh, that's what we did. And we never lost sleep or anything. So that's awesome. That's really smart. Yeah. When I, unfortunately I had twins, so there was no, there wasn't much time where both kids were asleep. So mm-hmm. that, that wouldn't really work. But I was, I was able to take like five weeks of, uh, parenting time, um, after, cause I banked a lot of, uh, hours and various things. So it just came to a point where I said, you know what? Anytime the babies are sleeping, I'm just going to go to sleep. I was so tired. I was just like, if you're sleeping, I'm asleep. I don't care what time of day it is. I need to sleep. So I'm just going to sleep whenever the babies go to sleep. And actually, uh, I, a friend of mine gave me a Google Drive with all the Tales from the Crypt. So actually, the last time I did a Tales from the Crypt watch through was during that like five weeks of PTO I took, a parenting time. Um, because I didn't have I need something to do my other time that wasn't child related. Yeah, and it's just, I was nineteen and dumb when we had our daughter, so I just worked through the whole thing. Back then, you couldn't take FMLA if you're a dad; like you had to just work it. 
and um, during the holidays, but I would not recommend that. I recommend taking time off if you can and spend that with your child and bonds. I truly do miss those moments and I'll never have them back. But my daughter turns uh, 20 on, on, on Friday. So that's oh, man. Old. 20 years old. Yeah. She's got her own place. Like, has two jobs. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? You don't yeah. look old to have a 20 year old. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm 39. I was, a, I, was a, I was a young dad. I was like, I, yeah. pre- I, pre- I appreciate that. I, I'll always uh, take that compliment and put that away if I need to pick me up. <laughs> so, Ed, you said your daughter's birthday's on Christmas? On Christmas Day, yep. Wow. So, that's going to be I interesting do- because you know, I'm, I'm, my birthday's early in January. So, like, as a kid, I just thought I just get presents all the time because, you know, the holidays just run right into my birthday. You know, just be getting stuff constantly for like weeks on end. So it was, it's a real bummer when the presents stop. So, how are you going to handle it? Are, they, are you going to give double the presents on Christmas or are you going to break it up maybe like a week? So, we've already, we already told relatives, like, hey, you guys can't be cheap. It's two presents, not one. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, weirdly, weirdly enough, and this wasn't even done on purpose, but like we had a lot of friends who had, you know, kids around the same time, the first kid, the same time we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like uh, one of them, one of them is, um, I think, a month older than my daughter. And the other one is like maybe two months older than my daughter. And they just happen to be Jewish. So they don't celebrate Christmas anyway. So they can mm-hmm. come to our birthday. Nice. That's actually That's really awesome. cool. It, it's interesting how you guys all had babies around December. And it's kind of like, uh, never mind. I was kind of when lockdown started, but that was back in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We definitely weren't thinking of having kids until going through all the lockdown and everything like that. And um, like, that was not, not in the cards. Like I, I mean, having my first kid at 35 was not, uh, you know, something that was like planned. So um, yeah, it all you changed. Know. It's kind of, everything kind of went into perspective. You got so bored with just not having to do anything that you kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, perspective. Someone hand me a baby quick. I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> But, but you know what's cool is like again i have my daughter really young and i'm kind of thankful for that because even now at like 39 we relate on certain things i don't think i'd relate to if i was a little bit older or vice versa mm-hmm. but also like if i had a baby now i'd be so much more mature i think i'd be such a better dad in those early years than i was back then so i think it's always a coin flip and there's no wrong time to have a baby it's just you're gonna have it when you have it and you're gonna do your best and that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. She's already been in four, four of my movies, so uh, yeah. That's so awesome. That is so sure, awesome. Well, yeah. it's so cool because I hope like when she's older, she can look back on that and be like, holy shit, I was in a movie when I was a baby. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, we did get one question on our Instagram, if you want to answer oh, this. please. Um, from our friend Palmer Lynch, 719, a uh, longtime friend of the show. Uh, is there a story structure that you don't tire of? I don't tire of? you don't tire of like something you could do like uh, uh maybe a trope or um i mean i mean i'll go first i'll say that i'm a i just love a th- I, I love a good slasher like i don't need you i need anyone to reinvent the slasher you give me a, a menacing evil character killing kids and don't call it rob zombies halloween and i'm a pretty big fan like and i i think of it the same way wait should you read the question again i, might, I think i must heard it the first time all right um is there a story structure that mm. you do not tire of? Okay. So yeah, I, I, the way I think of it is like, I listen to all kinds of music, but cause I think there's an, at some point there's gonna be someone who does something in the genre that I'm going to like, 
or there's like enough talented people doing all kinds of music or all kinds of movies that I can there's something I can find that I like in each each type of genre. Sure. Um as far as story structure though, one thing there's one thing the trope that always really annoys me is when they start off in the middle. Hold on a second. This is not what annoys you. It is it's what you will never get tired of. I know. And that's it. I'm open okay. the most, but the one thing that kind of annoys me that at least like I guess get bored of is like we're gonna start off with our characters in the precarious situation. And then we're going to have them tell you the story of how they got there. <laughs> kind of like Maverick. Um, kind of like in this episode in a little bit. Where they kind of start in the middle and then they kind of keep flashing back to... I don't know. Because you just know that they're going to get to that one scenario. You still didn't answer the question, though. What do you not tire of? Everything else is fine. Everything else is okay. Like, except for yeah, that everything one else is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's just pretty open. I'm saying if it's done well. Ed, you're the, you're the filmmaker here. You tell us. Uh, my favorite kind of film is one that I don't think they, they make many of, but uh, I never get tired of a movie like From Dusk Till Dawn, like a movie that starts off in one genre and then kind of just starkly changes like at the drop of a dime. Ooh, look at my shirt. Another genre. Oh, nice. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, th- those kind of movies. Another one would be kind of barbarian. Um, mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I don't. I'm trying to think. I mean, on a more general sense, I mean, I still find myself with my wife and even on my own sometimes watching like rom-coms, which are the exact same thing over and over and over. It's like guy wants girl, girl doesn't want guy, guy gets girl, guy loses girl, guy gets girl again. Uh, <laughs> or or the Hallmark one that makes fun of where um, it's like woman with amazing job goes back to her hometown and drops drops her job and drops everything to live in her hometown with uh homeless uh childhood boyfriend or something like that like <laughs> you, no job and makes her lose the, everything and live with him I, the, uh, widow, friend, the widowed ex-boyfriend with a cute little kid a, a friend of ours is a podcast yeah. dedicated to those kind of movies called small town failing oh, nice. <laughs> and um if you if you want a, a funny take on those movies it's a great podcast listen to yeah i get that Oh, yeah. um, I'll also say like the uh, the kind of ensemble comedy cast, like especially from the '80s, like Great Outdoors, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, mm-hmm. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, all those just like off the wall comedies just do it for me. Like I don't need the plot to make sense. I just want to see Steve Martin and John Candy on screen. Oh, that's you know? one of my all time favorite movies. Is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. They actually just oh, came too. out with a release with like an extra hour of footage. Oh, I have it in my house right now. Oh, um, I watch. I, I, I haven't watched the extras yet because I've heard the extras when you watch them, you'll understand why they cut them out because if they left them in Del Griffin, Del Griffith would have been unsufferable. Yeah, no, it's like a perfect movie. So I'm fine with it, but I'm just curious. You know, John Candy was like 36 when he did that movie or something like that. That's crazy. Damn. Um, But again, actually, I was thinking about this as you're talking about the kind of movie again, I don't like to stick to a genre. It's just any movie that I don't know what's going to happen next where like I'm kind of going on a journey and I'm like just kind of going with it. So like everything ever all at once that was such a mind blowing movie because it just there's no way to understand or predict what's going to happen. It's just oh God, that, that movie still blows my mind. And Barbarian along the same lines. Yeah. When when people, I've heard people trashing Barbarian. I think they're doing it just to be yeah. different. But like, holy shit, did that? Even if you didn't like the movie, I think you have to respect what it did and how it how it like 
and I'm not going to give away anything else than that, but then you have to respect how it went and what it did. And, and it, it took some balls to kind of go the directions it went into and when it did those. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. no, it's a brilliant movie. Those movements. I'm like trying to put together my top 10 list for the year. And I just, every day I come up with a different order. It's just, it's, this is going to be an impossible task. I'm a, I'm a big believer that I see so many people just like bumping fresh down their lists. And oh, I'm like, if that movie were to come out in like October, mm-hmm. I think people would be saying that's the number one of the year. No, I'm trying to keep what, that what as high as possible. What are the ones on your guys' list? If you, not What's in that? any order. Not um, in order, but what movies are on your list right now? Here, I, I got it on my say, phone. I'd have to say Barbarian for sure. Um, definitely Fresh. I love Fresh. Prey, uh, the new Predator film. Um, X for sure. It's kind of weird because I forget that somebody's came out this year because it's so long. All right. So here's, yeah. here's, oh, here's Terrifier. my top. I'm going to say Terrifier 2 for sure. I love Terrifier 2. Mm-hmm. Even though I think if they had to cut 30 minutes out of it, it'd be a masterpiece. But yeah. Um, let's see. My top 10 is, and this is not particularly in order, but something near in order Barbarian, Pearl, Nope, Fresh, Mad God, X, Deathstream, Prey. And I don't know how many that is, but Bodies, 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 <laughs> Hellraiser. I, I haven't seen the menu, so I, I know that might make it. Yeah. It's like, I, have, I, uh, I, I can't figure out where to put Pearl and X like in relation to each other. It's like, I, 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 I enjoyed Pearl. I loved X. I liked the first half of X a lot. And I, I would rather almost just see the rest of that movie before it took the turn. Just to Dude. play out because I just love all those characters, <laughs> and then they start just start picking them off. I'm still a big believer that the third act of that film is such a is such a love letter to Lucio Fulci. Yeah, and and you know how and you know how I feel about Fulci. So yeah. like that last half of that last the last act with the the way the the way it was shot, the and lighting the, off, and with the eye kill, I'm like, oh shit, they're going for Lucio Fulci, and I love the last act of that yeah. movie too. And it's also one of those movies where. I didn't see a lot in the theater this year, and it's one that I did mm-hmm. see in the theater, which which made me yeah. happy. I think if I saw that in the theater, my opinion would have been higher, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, do you have what? Do you have a list so far? Yeah, I had uh, a lot of the ones you said. I love Deadstream. Uh, that's that's near the top of my top of my list. Uh, Deadstream was a movie that when I first started watching it, I was like, "This, I I fucking hate this guy. I fucking hate this movie." And then thirty minutes in, I'm like, "Oh, I'm in. I love this yeah. movie." <laughs> uh, one that neither of you mentioned. Sadness. I really love the sadness. Oh, the sadness was some of the best gore pieces of the year. Like, I, and I, I know everyone's raving over Terrifier Two and the and their practical effects, which don't get me wrong, I absolutely love. But holy shit, did the sadness go in directions I did not expect? Yeah, I keep yeah. forgetting that's this year. So I need to I need to watch it before the end of the year. Uh, yeah, and then there was two uh, Michael Monroe films. One was The Watcher. The Watcher. Enjoyed. And then um, the other one was Significant Other, the Paramount Plus original that came out oh, a few wow. weeks ago. Uh, alien film. Um, really cool. Really good. And then, um, yeah, I did have X on the list. I did have Fresh on the list near the top. Um, i trying to think. Um, if I go out of this, I have a list on my phone, but if I get out of this. Yeah, that, no, whoop. yeah we lost you. You lost me, but you can still oh, hear me. No, okay, we just can't see you. We can hear it's good. Your name is just iPhone for the time being. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Did you see okay. Mad God? I didn't see Mad God yet. It's on my list still, though. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I couldn't make it through Mad God, and I don't mean that as a knock on the movie. I just put it on at the wrong time. Yeah, you have to be in the headspace get, for that. Yeah, and have not gotten back to it. So it's like, it's not a knock on it. It's more a knock on me just 
fucking being a piece of shit than it is about the movie <laughs> because I really do want to watch it. This is one of those movies I just think about a lot. <laughs> just pops in my head. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other ones I have on my list that you guys didn't have on your list, I don't think I had uh, Malignant. So that was, was last that year. year. That was last year. Is it last year? Yeah. But 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 I'm with you in that I love Malignant. I love that movie. Oh uh, yeah, no, it would it would be on my list this year if it was. But weird. I thought it was this year. Oh, I must have got that wrong. And then um, I do have. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, did you guys see who invited them or no? I've not seen that. No. Mm-hmm. That's um. It's a. I think Shutter this year specifically has been absolutely like killing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a Shutter original of the home invasion type movie. Oh, uh, on my list, have not watched it yet. So I have it saved. Yeah, I think I think then what we're seeing too uh, a genre that I find myself loving, and I don't know why exactly. Maybe because it's like relatable is like this new genre of um, uh, talking about like barbarian and talking about uh, James Franco's brothers movie that came out the previous year, the rental and stuff. This um, Airbnb gone bad type yeah. movie. <laughs> it's a really yeah. random genre, but yeah, it works. Oh, as a guy that travels for work, like I can, I completely relate to that. Like <laughs> I've stayed in some places. So I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, Another great one that didn't get a wide release just for people out there is um, it's the new um, God Benson and Moorhead movie, uh, Something in the Dirt. Mm. Mm. Uh, they did the battery, I think. Um, oh, wow. Um, but uh, really, really, it's uh, it's when you watch it, you know, it's a pandemic film. I started doing Chattanooga Film Festival, but um, my, my, again, my only complaint with this movie is because I'm an old man. It's a little bit too long. At almost two hours, but um, a really, really great found footage movie. I think everybody should check out. Oh yeah, I, found footage is a huge, huge favorite of mine. I made a found yeah. footage film uh, back in 2012, but like, I'm friends with one of the guys who, um, I, I, obviously, I'm friends with Eduardo Sanchez, but oh, cool. uh, but I'm also friends with oh, wow. um, this guy Dean Alioto, who, weirdly enough, he just got the shit into the stick because he came out with a found footage, an amazing found footage film right before Blair Witch. And what, what was it what called? Happened, it was called, it originally was called incident at Lake County. And then it got changed now to, um, aliens. They changed the name, but it used to be called incident at Lake County. All the effects were made by the people who went on to do men in black. Wow. Uh, essentially it's about a family who's having a birthday party and they're filming it on their camcorder. And oh, alien abduction i've seen they put this yeah. on shutter they put that on shutter yeah yeah it's so okay. good yeah i think i saw uh, that a long time ago yeah so i've been like i just love found and all these like weird obscure found footage films like be my cat um which is about this guy who has such an obsession and this guy in romania who has such an obsession with Anne hathaway he's making a movie and he wants Anne hathaway to star in it so he's like casting these women who look like Anne Hathaway and then murdering them. Um, that, like weird ones like that. There's one called home. Um, and it's like about this, this couple, one of them is like a priest and the other one is like a scientist. And they've made this kind of bet as to like, what's going on with their kids because their kids are showing some kind of like weird behavioral issue and they're, they're documenting it. And they find out that their kids have been possessed by like demons essentially. Um, 
Yeah, and then my all real fast. D- Dean Aloto did uh, it's called uh, the McPherson tapes. Now, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it called now? Yeah, fantastic. It's it's called Incident at Lake County is the first the first title. Gotcha. What happened, what happened was uh, the original negatives were burned in a fire, oh. and he didn't know the movie existed anymore until later on down the line. Uh, footage from his movie showed up on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> wow, that's, that's so crazy! It is stuff, shit, and he's like, "This is from my movie." And they ended up like contacting, the, like getting the contact info from Unsolved Mysteries, and then contacting the guy. And the guy had just happened to work at something; he had no idea that this place had burned down. He was like some, um, some like editor, like a trailer editor that had had like a hard drive or had something that, or some negatives at some point. And they were able to then release the movie with this guy's footage that he had like That's years. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's insane. All right. Well, I think that wraps up another episode. That wraps up season five. So again, we're going to start to do cabinet curiosities starting uh, next week with the episode one titled Lot 36. Uh, Edward, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow you and find your content? Uh, so I am on Instagram under an anti-hero production with underscores between each word. Um, you can find me if you just search on like uh, Amazon Prime or Plex. Just type Edward Payson and all my movies will come up. Uh, horror, documentaries, whatever you like. Um, yeah, and whatever you watch, uh, fee- please feel free to tell me all about it because uh, I love talking to people who actually take the time to watch my stuff. So. And what's the new documentary called again for the uh, Texas Chainsaw? It's called In Search of All-American Massacre, the Lost Texas Chainsaw Film. It'll first be on Amazon probably next week, uh, as well as Plex next week. And anybody in the Los Angeles area, I don't know when this episode is released. This will uh, yeah, come out on Sunday. On Sunday? so It'll be passed. The day before, yeah. But <laughs> if you um, are you on Twitter or anything, or Mastodon or any other ones? Just Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you send me the info, I, I I can tweet it. So. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you the info. Um, yeah, it's part of the Culver City Film Fest. We're nine thirty p.m. on Saturday, and um, yeah, the whole cast is going to be there. So. Oh, cool. I mean, I mean, Jason, are you free on nine thirty p.m. on Saturday? On Saturday. Or Friday. What's what's happening on Saturday? Isn't that this. what you said? <laughs> oh, I thought you said it was Friday. No, no, Saturday. Oh, I'm actually going to Season Screamings, a holiday themed horror festival this Saturday. Damn it, Is Jason. Hotel 9:30. Maybe, but <laughs> if you, if you're inviting me, maybe I'll I'll go. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't know you guys. I didn't know you guys are both in Los Angeles. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I am. He is. I live in Las Vegas. I'm just in San Diego for work this week. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, man, if, if you guys are able to go, um, like I said, the whole cast is going to be there. Felissa Rose is in the movie. Oh, really? Uh, I love yeah, Felissa Rose. Yeah. She's she's uh, she's a good friend with, with Bill, so she told us all about, like, Bill Mosley and stuff, and um, mm. she's also just a huge horror fan, and yeah. she's been in a lot of my movies in the past, too, so... Um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge Sleepaway Camp fan. We, oh, we, met her, it, we met her at Days of the Dead here in Las Vegas, and just, like, the nicest person, too. Yeah, she's amazing. Just super excited to meet fans and just a, a, a cool person. Yeah, she's great. 
Um, but yeah, Greg, who is in the original movie, uh, All American Massacre, he's in the doc- documentary. He's going to be there as well. He's coming back. Uh, down cool. From Sacramento, sure. where he lives now. Um, yeah. If I'm not too worn out from season screaming, so maybe I'll come by. No, I can't does, promise anything because I just think Las, a lot out of me. Why does Las Vegas suck? We don't get cool shit like this. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate you, everyone for listening. We really appreciate it if you would give us a rating or review on iTunes or really on Spotify. Check out our Patreon for bonus content. Mondo, we got to start working on some of that. Hey, dude. Like, I'm, I'm a busy man. I'm sorry. I know. I know. And also check out YouTube for videos of these podcasts. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypts. Goodbye. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs>